This episode is brought to you by GME. Since 1959, GME has been an Australian-owned family company and remains the only Australian manufacturer of UHF CB radios, with their products designed, engineered and manufactured in Sydney's northwest. GME's products cover a range of recreational activities, from fishing to four-wheel driving and touring, in addition to catering for heavy vehicles and agriculture. GME have released a limited edition range of pink products to raise money for the McGrath Foundation to assist in their tireless efforts of funding regional breast care nurses and supporting families in communities across regional Australia. You can find out more by finding them on Facebook, Instagram or at gme.net.au. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. When I lived in the United States, I learnt the saying, ride for the brand. It means to be loyal to the ranch and the rancher that you work for. It means taking a great deal of pride in your work and giving your all for the brand. Cowboys would ride the extra mile and, if necessary, fight for the brand. I suppose you could say that the ranch hands on that TV show Yellowstone are a prime example of riding for the brand, even if the storylines are a little far-fetched. But down here in Australia, it's not something I've ever heard anyone say. Until I met Linda Evans. Linda manages Napier Down Station alongside her husband, Boof. If her name sounds familiar, it's because she was a guest on episode 108. Linda has been taught to ride for the brand since she was a child, and it's at the core of how her and Boof have managed themselves and their stock camp for over 20 years. In this episode, I sat down with Linda to learn a little more about her story and why she is so fiercely passionate about riding for the Napier Downs brand, and why she thinks they have the best team in Australia. Of course, I couldn't start our chat without asking Linda what she was like as a child. I was a daddy's girl. I just, I doted on dad and granddad and followed them everywhere. I just lived for horses and that's what they had. So that's where I was. And what did your dad and granddad do growing up? Oh, ringers. Uh, in Queensland, in, so southwest Queensland, I grew up in a place called Charleville. We had a little house just on the edge of town. Dad would break in horses over the Christmas period and he was a contract muster, so he, like, just literally worked all over the place. And did you get to go with him? Yeah, I did a fair bit, actually. I had an old piebald horse called Chopper. I remember Chopper. And I'd go mustering with Dad and if they were chasing a bull or throwing a bull or something, he'd just put me, put me in a tree or put me somewhere and tell me to wait there and 
they'd come back and get me in. You know, I liked to ride around on the horse with Dad apparently when I was littler. He'd take me mustering with him on, on behind him or sitting on the pumble. So, yeah, it's just just Dad's girl, I guess. It was it was very, very free lifestyle. Like I just, for me, being able to be around horses and, and cattle and and being able to just, I'm much better with, animals than people so for me that was my comfort zone and I've I've just always loved being with them and if something's wrong in my world if I can just get in a horse and wander off on my own for a few hours I can get it right in my head and then I can move forward um there's been a you know a few times over the years that 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 was the only way I could get something right in my head so what, did you always think that you were going to follow in your dad's footsteps and go into the cattle industry? No, no. Um, dad was insistent that we were girls and we had to have a trade or we had to have a job where we could be independent. He didn't want us ever to have to rely on anybody. He taught us to defend ourselves and to fight for what we believed in right from the word go. But he also... He also wanted us to be girls. He, he was, you know, he liked, we weren't allowed to have short hair because little girls have long hair and, and, you know, you'd go somewhere as a family group, which wasn't something we'd done very often, but when we did, we'd all have to be dressed in the same little dresses or the same little outfits. And, and dad, you know, that was, that was his, he had three girls. Um, so poor fella. When Gary came along, our little brother a bit later, I think he was very relieved. When you say he taught you to defend yourself, do you mean like physically? Physically, mentally, yep. So what what did that look like? That looked like a boxing bag and a speed ball in the feed shed at the back of the house in Charleville. We were always taught, do not start an argument, but if they pick it, you better finish it. And did you ever have to use those skills growing up? There were times that I felt the need to defend myself, yes. I love it. From the look on your face, we might just leave that story there then. Don't mess with Linda Evans. So what was the plan then? If, if Dad didn't want you to go into the cattle industry and you had to, did you go and get a trade or a job in I town? did, yeah. I, I completed an enrolled nurse course in, at the Charleville Base Hospital. Um, and, and prior to that, Dad had carted me all over Australia riding show jumping horses and barrel racing horses and bits and pieces of everything, um, done a lot of hacking, dressage, that sort of stuff. And I went and had to stop everything to do the nursing course basically. So the only bit of extra that I got then was that Dad had some cattle on a little block just out of Charleville, so I used to go and let them out in the morning and tail them around through the day and put them back to get my fix. Um, and... I realised two things while I was doing that nursing course. I was actually smarter than I thought I was. But I didn't want to be locked up in a hospital. I didn't want to be I didn't want to be inside at all. I just wanted to be around animals. I and I was fortunate enough in that time frame to have met someone that had quite a like mindset to me. So um that probably didn't make dad very happy either because his little girl was growing up but that happens so I finished my nursing course and the only job I could get on a station well no that's not true I could probably have got a lot of jobs but there was an incentive 
to go to that station. Um, so I took a cooking job on Durham Downs and I couldn't cook. <laughs> I had no idea. I'd watched mum over the years and peeled a few spuds and stuff, but I was more an outside kid. My sisters were the cooks. So that was a pretty steep learning curve. Poor fellas, they were a bit hungry for a little while, I suppose, but I worked it out in the end. And I was very fortunate. At that time, the manager at Durham, Johnny Ferguson, his mum, Rachel, was around a little bit, and she's one of the most amazing women I've ever met. Um, and she just taught me so much. She, you know, she knew she'd been in the bush her whole life and she'd read a lot of kids and she knew how to get a feed out out of nothing. And, and the most important thing she taught me was just be organised. Don't leave it to the last minute and wash up as you go. And so what year would this have been in, do you think? 1993. So what was station life at Durham Down? So that's southwest Queensland in the Channel Country. What was it like in 1993? It was, you know, the stock camp would go out for a couple of months at a time and and you. it was, in some ways, it was a little bit isolating I, I was very fortunate. Alf Bomber Johnson was the pilot there and he was great. Bomber was great. He taught me a lot as well. And Micka Ferguson, the manager's father, was there, so he was great. And I was really fortunate that Johnny Ferguson had racehorses. So the reason I got a cook's job when I couldn't cook was I could damn well ride a racehorse work. <laughs> so every morning I'd get up and I'd go and work the racehorses and I'd come back and Micka would cook me breakfast and Bomber would make my cup of coffee and we'd go about our day and we just settled into life. And, you know, it was, it was, I really enjoyed it. It suited me and I'd, I'd found my little niche in life. I think I found where I was comfortable and where I like being because I'm quite good to be on my own. I don't mind being on my own. I don't need people around. How did your father take to you moving out to Durham and being a station cook? He just shook his head. <laughs> He just literally shook his head. Um, by that time, he'd realised that he had actually created what he wanted, somebody that had a mind and a, a thought process for themselves, and once they made it up, there was no point arguing. I was just going to argue till I was blue in the face. I was doing what I was doing, and they didn't like it. Well, too bad. Tell me some stories about your time at Durham. Oh, you know, um, there were a few – there's always great times on a place like that. And I was very fortunate to work at Durham Down when, Downs when there were some really handy ringers about, you know, like one night we're all at, at, at the kitchen having tea and a bloke had been away and bought himself a brand new secondhand car to him, um, come home and he was got on the grog on the way home. He got out the front of the kitchen between the kitchens and the quarters at Durham and there was an old cement slab and stuff halfway and... He decided he was going to show us his new car, broadsiding it around, and he hit the cement slab and rolled it and rode it off. So he'd owned it two days and he was paying it off for five years. Taught me a really big lesson. Don't, just don't be a dickhead. Just pull up, just think before you act. It's a really good lesson to learn. It taught me about teamwork. It taught me about having one another's back. And it taught me about family being more than just blood. Can you expand on that a little bit for me? Who was your family out at Durham? Well, I'd gone there because Buff was there. It was that simple. Um, oh, you so know. this was the, the fellow you 
you followed out there. Yeah, definitely. I thought before, because you told me off air that, yeah, you'd, you'd followed a boy out to Durham, but when you didn't kind of mention it before, you just said there was incentive. I thought perhaps it was somebody other than Buff, and that's no, why you didn't want to mention it. No, it's it. always been Buff. Always been Buff. Wow. Always. So, yeah, so keep yeah, going. Yeah, so, um, and, you know, you, we learnt that, you go to a show and, you know, times were different back then. You go to a rodeo and, and boys would fight because of the, you know, you rode for the brand, you you rode for the company you work for and we were proud to be Kidman people. Like, you know, you were really proud to be a Kidman man and, and you know, it was nothing for the boys to go to a rodeo and, and knock a tonga or somewhere else would make a comment and the boys would get into a brawl over it because you don't, you just don't put down where you're from. You don't put your family down. And and that was one of the best le- lessons that I think we ever learnt because as we progressed through the industry, we always kept in the back of our mind that we have to make this a family. We have to protect one another and we have to look out for one another. And it, like any family, you're going to have issues amongst yourselves and you're going to bitch and whinge and you're going to think, oh, Christ, I wish you'd just piss off out of my f- – I'm not allowed to say that, am I? No, you're right. <laughs> you just got to get out of my sight, leave me – give me some space – and that's fine for you to think that, but nobody from outside can. And the minute we all are riding for the same brand and we are all protecting one another, we have built a family and you protect your family no matter what. How long would people stay at a station back in those days? Were you there like three, four years or was this? did you have a lot of people, a high turnover? No, definitely not. They didn't. I um, I done the, the one season and – we decided we'd get married, so I went back nursing because I could make more money. So, it, like, you know, I went to Winton, working at the hospital in Winton, and Buff was working at Inamenka. He'd gone down to Inamenka because Kidman moved their blokes around amongst their places. And he grew up at Dury, so, you know, he's been a Kidman kid his whole life. Um, we, I went to Winton, he was at Inamenka. I think we saw one another twice in about eight months. Then we got married in Charleville. Um, and had CJ, and then Jess came along just 12 months later. And in that time frame, we'd taken a job, or Buff had taken a job on a little sheep place called Wallya, sheep and cattle place, about 100, 120k out of Corpy, I suppose it is. And we just settled into our life, you know. I've, I'm so fortunate. I had a husband that that just wanted the best for me and the kids, and he didn't care what he had to do to provide that. And he, we we done it tough for a while and, you know, there were times that we'd go chasing pigs to put through the box to get a bit extra cash if we wanted something extra because um, back then ringer's wages were 240 bucks a week and we reared a family on that. We paid a car off. We we just made do and, you know, we didn't buy anything. I cooked everything. By then I'd learnt to cook a little bit. So, <laughs> you know, we, we just got by and we we built a family and we built a life and I wouldn't change a thing. I want to ask you a bit more about this concept of riding for the brand. You mentioned that, you know, in those days people became family on stations, but you said you only did the season out at Durham and that Kidman moved their fellas around. So the the conviction that you spoke with and talking about riding for the brand and building a family, protecting one another – Sounds like something that would come from working with the same person for 
decades, you know, working in that team, something that would take years and years to build. But from what you've just said, you know, even in your first year there, that's how you felt about the others. So this is something that developed fairly quickly. For me, I'd grown up with that concept. That was like, you know, my dad had the same group of men work for him for about 10, 15 years. So like, you know, all my, well, they were my uncles. Like, you know, they changed my nappies for me when dad would take me away when I was that small with him. You know, they'd be chasing cattle or, or you'd be running horses and everybody kept an eye out for the kid. And, you know, everybody made sure I got a feed and, it, it was something that I was always brought up with and my dad's from a really large family and and for God, oh God, they were just feral, some of them. And, but that being said, family was everything. You didn't, it didn't matter if you were fighting amongst yourselves at home, nobody from outside came in. That was the deal. You protect your own no matter what. So for me, that was something that I'd learnt from brand new. Um, and in saying Kidman boys moved around, they moved around within the stations if that's what they wanted to do, but they were still Kidman men. And, you know, I was really fortunate. The manager at Durham, his friend, he, his daughter was one of my gr- really good friends, Fiona, and, and you know, it was it was not like I'd just turned up there and didn't know anyone. I'd, I'd been around these people and known them for a long while. Um, so... It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's really easy to give respect, but to earn it's a whole other thing. And if you can earn someone's respect, then you've proven that you're trustworthy and you're honest and, and you will be there to back their play. And when you can be there, you can feel confident that you have someone got your back all the time. And if they've got your back, then you can get through anything. How do you go about proving that and earning that respect? You do it every day. It's singing out to somebody in the yard if a mongrel old cow's racing up the fence. It's it's somebody battling to get a shoe on a horse and, and somebody else walking over and saying, mate, come on, I'll give you a hand. Let me Let me belt a shoe on for you. It's when you're in the pub and somebody says something to ask mates, hey, come on, that's my mate. Pull up. It's about protecting them when they're not there. It's about, oh, look, it's about being harsh when you need to be. It's about pulling them into line when you need to be. And make no mistake, there's been time. I actually gave one of Bush Ringers a, a belting in the kitchen one night with a wooden spoon. Like I just smacked his ass like a naughty kid. <laughs> because they need to learn that that there is definitely a level of respect required and that if that respect level isn't met, then you're breaching the code. And if you breach the code, then there's consequences for that. And and everybody, I don't care whether you're an animal or a human, everybody works well when they've got parameters and they've got dead set certain rules to follow because you know what's acceptable, you know what's not. You make a choice then to do the unacceptable. If you make that choice then you wear the consequences of it. Seems like that that's something that you guys have carried on throughout from those early days. Most definitely. Most definitely. We we are probably very biased, but we think we work on the best cattle station in northern Australia. And we honestly believe that we are are honoured to have the the right to wear a Napier down shirt. 
and that when we pull that shirt on, we have to, we have to live up to what that means. And, and to be the best, you have to prove you're the best. So, you know, you just got to, it's sort of hard to explain. Um, we call it being Napier proud. So, you know, you go to an event and there's a Napier person competing. Doesn't matter who it is, whether it's the gardener, the cook, the ringers, both myself, the kids when they were little. You can bet your life you'll know somebody from Napier's getting on because there'll be Napier shirts everywhere. And that, that's what makes it worthwhile. That's, that's what makes you feel good. How does that sort of camaraderie filter through into the workplace and affect how people work as a team and what you're trying to achieve running a business? Well, it, it only benefits everybody that that happens. Like the business runs better. The boys learn more, are more, more educated and better at their jobs because they know that each, the, the competitiveness, competitiveness, sorry, between the boys is friendly, but they all want to win. They want to prove that they, they're worthy of that shirt. And, and, you know, it, it's a really empowering thing to see a group of young people that don't know one another gel and become that group. And, and, you know, if somebody comes to a station, I don't care which station, if somebody comes to a station, well, I know this happens here. I assume it happens other places because it did when I was younger. Um, if somebody turns up and something's not quite right or there's something a little bit off, 99% of the time, Wolf or I never have to do anything about that. The boys sort that out. And it happens quickly. They all live together in the quarters. It's hard to hide. You can't hide there. There's no space to hide. So, you know, and, and we're really fortunate that we've had a group of boys that have been with us pretty well long term. Um, and they'll, they'll just say to you, oh, no, nah, he won't make it. They won't handle it. They won't last. And that's not saying that they're not good at their job or they're not good at what they do. They're just not a good fit for Napier. Yeah, dynamics, are, I mean, it's, it's one thing to be skilled and to have the skills to do the job, but at the end of the day, this is a team environment and the dynamics are everything. Yep, and you can have a team of champions or you can have a champion team. We have a champion team. It's I that have simple. not heard that expression before, but that is absolutely so fitting. You could get the best in the business and put them all together and they won't work together. They're all, all wanting to prove that they are the best. But when you've got a champion team, they're working to prove the team's the best. So how did you come to be at Napier? Was there anywhere that you were between that sheep place and Napier? Yeah, yeah. so um, we'd done some time on a Brahmin stud near Nebo in Queensland and then we went back to another little block near Quilpy and then we bought a little block just out of town at Quilpy and Buff went contracting, so he was up into the Territory, um, down into South Australia. So he was uh, racing around a little bit and I went back nursing at the hospital we had two little ones and we just were really fortunate that my uncle and aunt lived in town and, and their 
older son was in high school, so he used to, I used to work permanent nights and he'd come and stay with the kids so they didn't have to leave the house. And then it just got drier and drier and Buff was having to go further and further for work and at one point he ended up at Mount Denison near Alice and then he was down at Gidgealpa in South Australia and Rosewood in the Territory. So, you know, it was um, – Ringwood, sorry, in the Territory. So it was – you know, he was away a lot and then friends of ours – lost two of their children in a house fire. And it made us sit up and really start thinking about what what we we're doing, you know, we we're doing okay, we we're putting money in the bank, paying the block off, you know. And then it got drier and drier, so we sold off the cattle we had and then we were offered the head stockman's job on Napier Downs. And we hummed and hard and we thought about it. We had no idea. We thought Kimberley was just spinifex and rock. But we thought, you know, why not? The kids are young. He'd Peter had offered, offered to make sure there was a governess to teach the kids. There was full-time work for myself. So we took that job and we guaranteed two years. wasn't worth driving all that way for one year. So we packed what we needed into work Toyota and I had a, a Ford Courier four-door and a little box trailer, and that's what we came to Napier Downs with. We arrived here in March 2004, and it was a culture shock. <laughs> it was um, definitely not what we'd expected. It was lush, and it was green, and it was the scenery was beautiful, and and we settled into to Napier. We. Yeah, you know, we poked along. The, go- the kids started school of the air. I started cooking and Buff went about doing his job. And at the end of two years, we went home and we sold our block in Quilpy, sold what gear we had packed up there, bought our horses back, and we're still here. 17 years later. Yeah, it's, it's where we've read our children, really. This is their home. This is what the kids know as home. You know, the... They were feral little kids running around on the range and and our kids went to work with us. We both had to work, so our kids went to work. So it was nothing for our kids at eight and nine to be walking cattle all day, letting the mob of wieners out of the yard at two o'clock in the morning and, and riding a horse until two o'clock, three o'clock that afternoon walking wieners. And, you know, both the kids can cook a good feed. Both the kids are, are resilient and handy. There's not a job on a station either of them can't do. We're very fortunate, very, very fortunate to have CJ home running the camp for us now and and that's been great because Buff's actually been able to step back and, and do other jobs so he doesn't work 20 hours a day now, he only works 15. And, you know, it, it just took a lot of pressure off knowing that he knew the standard and the expectation required because for us... Buff's a perfectionist. Everything has to be done properly and it has to be done right. And, you know, all our cattle are worked on horses and, and walked. We don't truck stuff. And, and you know, it's it's a pride thing. This herd's a pride because when we came to Napier Downs, there was about 6,000 head of crossbred cattle. There's now 20,000 head of the best Brahmin herd in northern Australia. And Buff built that. Buff and Peter Lutnegger worked hard and they built that. And that's something that you can be really proud of. And, you know, we've had a lot of kids come through Napier Downs. We've had kids from pretty disadvantaged backgrounds. We've had heroin addicts and we've had, 
kids, you know, that just were from really bad families and and we always look at it that we've got kids and we would hope to God if they got in trouble, somebody would give them a shot like we've given these kids a shot. Somebody would just look out for them. Can you tell me about some of the people that have worked for you that are standouts in your memory? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's there's a young fellow called Joe Pedrick that came here our second year here. And Joe was a kid that was a worker that become family. When our kids went off to boarding school in Perth, Joe was down there then working for um, a geotech. It was a soil testing company, compaction testing, that sort of stuff. So on weekends, Joe would take our daughter camp drafting with him and he'd take CJ out for the weekend, take him chasing a pig or going riding on a horse or mustering a paddock for his granddad and and we'll be forever grateful to the Pedrick family for being that for our kids. Because sending your kids off to boarding school is not easy. Buff used to tell me I was worse than an old Brahmin cow when they'd go back to school. He said, you'd run up and down that barbed wire fence, you've got barbed wire cuts all over your rib cage. So, you know, I – and I am. I know that people think I'm too protective, but I'm a very protective mum and I'm very proud of our kids and and I just believe we only get one shot at our kids. And we wanted to give our kids every opportunity to be everything they could be. And they've not let us down once. With all the people that have come through the gate at Napier, you know, you said there's been people from all walks of life, all skill levels, and I'm sure they've all learnt so much from you guys. What's something you've learnt from them? Oh, we've, the biggest lesson anybody can learn is that you can learn something from everyone. And you learn something new every day. Even if it's what not to do, you've still learnt that lesson. And, and you know what? A, a prime example is the trisolvin. That's, you know, the, the, um, pain lignocaine relief. pain relief now that they're using for horses, uh, cattle, sorry. Um, we had a, a chap come out from the trisolvin company and do a little sort of a, a school with the boys and explain about how to use it and all that sort of stuff. And we've, had a Frenchman, Gregoire Galaletzi. So Frenchy, um, he was with us for three years and he went home for a funeral and couldn't get back because of COVID. So he, he, he's still fighting that. He, they've revoked his visa, but he's not giving up. He tells us he wants to come home to Napier. Um, but they, he, they went through this whole process with this gentleman and, and Frenchy looked at him and he said to him, so when the calf gets up, and goes over to its mum, its mum licks it, yep, but sometimes it goes to the trough and has a drink straight away and it bleeds into the trough. So does that affect the, the cow's gut where that trisolvin's gone into the water in the trough? And old mate was dumbfounded. So, you know, we learnt that day that even a Frenchman from Dijon can become a cattleman and and that, you know, the little things, take notice of the little things and always remember that you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. So if you treat people well, you will get so much more out of them and they're the biggest lessons we've learned. Tell me about the journey coming to Napier as head stockman and working, you know, both working his way up to manager and how how you guys have 
what you've done the same and what you've changed over the years and how you approach the job? Look, to be quite honest, right from the word go, Buff's always been a perfectionist. There's no grey area. There's an expected standard. You meet the standard or you don't stay. And that's never going to change. That is never going to change. So for us, Buff doesn't approach this job any different as a manager than he did a head stockman. He still has the same expected standard from himself and from me and from every other person on Napier Downs. And our our thing is we can't expect somebody to have our back if we don't have theirs. So, you know, last year was a hard year, so I went to work in the stock camp with the boys. Um, this year when a couple of our guys got stuck because of COVID in Queensland, we just rolled a swag and we went back to work in the camp. Because the biggest thing that you've got to understand that there's there's not a big gap between being a station gardener and a station manager because the buck stops with the manager and if you make one mistake, you can be back being the gardener tomorrow. Don't get above yourself. Don't think you're more important than you are because if cattle don't go through the yard, you don't get paid. And if you don't get paid, then there is no station and the cattle don't go through the yard without those boys in the stock camp. They are the most important asset any station has. Your staff is your asset. Any army runs on its soldiers. And the better quality soldiers and the more loyal the soldier and the more respected the soldier, the more you get back out of them. The harder they work, the more pride they take in their job. And if you've got a group of boys, it doesn't matter what level their skill set is. If they're all working to that aim with those aims in mind then you're going to have a better quality of stock at the end. They're going to be more settled. They're going to go on to feed better. They're going to – they're not going to be stressed out. They're not bouncing off rails. You can walk through a yard full of cattle and they just walk around you. That happens because you've got boys on the ground that are very – boys and girls, sorry, boys and girls on the ground that are better at their job. And if they're better at their job, it makes you look better at yours. What do you look for when you're picking people to come into the crew at Napier? Or, I mean, is it more appropriate to say to come into the family at Napier? Look, you know, um, over the years it's getting harder and harder to get staff. So, and, and Buff likes to always put one or two young ones on that have got no experience at all. Because if they get introduced into our industry and they get treated well and paid well and looked after, then they'll stay within the industry. And we need more people in our industry. There's just not enough to go around. And and the industry has changed so much in the last 10, 15 years. It's, um, we like to think we do things the old way. There's lots of things about the old way that the people that do things the new way think are outdated and backward. We think there's lots of things about the new way that, that just don't make you a cattleman. They don't, they don't put the stock first. So, you know, there's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be different opinions on how you go about things. We actually don't go to other stations very often at all. So we only know what we do and we just like to do what we do well. And, and we're, that's, that's our goal. When somebody comes to Napier to work, then they are told this is the expectation, this is what you will be required to do. If you don't feel you can meet that standard, then don't bother coming. We will work with less men 
or women and get the job done than have people here that are going to lower the standard. So we've, you know, we, and like I said before, we're fortunate. We, you know, we had one young fella, David Peskett. He was with us 10 years and he left, he came here just a silly little boy and he left here an exceptionally handy man. You know, we've had Chappie on and off with us now about six years. We've had Harry three years. So it's, you know, it's, there's always ups and downs. There's always going to be somebody that's not happy with somebody else. And, and the biggest thing you can do is not buy into it. You've just got to say, whatever, look, sort your shit out, get on with it, stop carrying on like kids. And they, people then learn that they've got to, got to live together. They've got to work it out. You can't, you can't take a side. You can't stick your beak into their, to their arguments. It's the same as if it's a family. You know, you, you've got, two sisters and they're having a tiff, you can't take one side. You've just got to say, oh, for God's sake, get on with it. Just get over it and get on with it. And and that has worked for us over the years and that's helped us to develop the relationships that we have. There are a lot of people that have come through the gates at Napier Downs that we are still friends with. You know, there's a young fellow that works in the corporate section of the Commonwealth Bank in Sydney now that done two years with us and he rings up and makes bets with Buff about the state of origin. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, it makes you feel good and to know that, that they know that if they're in trouble, they can come home and we'll help them. And that's, that's a standard deal. It doesn't matter how long they spend here or, or don't spend here as they know that they can always ring Buff and he will help. What has been the biggest surprise to you throughout this journey so far? The good in human nature, the good in people. Because, you know, you see so much negativity now and and everything's always doom and gloom. But, it's you know, there's good out there and there are really good people left in this world. And... We're just really, really fortunate to have those people come through our lives. You and Buff have been fairly involved in the Kimberley community uh, through rodeo and camp drafts and the picnic races and other events. How important is that to you and why do you choose to be involved? Initially, the picnic races, our kids were on School of the Air. We were supporting our kids. And and you know what? If If nobody puts their hand up, it doesn't happen. And if there aren't social events for these young people to go to, they're not going to come to the Kimberley and work. Why would they? They've got to have a social life. They've got to have an outlet, you know. You've got to – everybody needs downtime. And if we don't all buck in and help, well, then the events don't happen. And if the events don't happen, you don't have staff. And if you don't have staff, you don't have a station. Speaking of, how do you find that balance with your staff – between work and play, between getting them to come to Napier and work hard and then and have that downtime without it going to the other extreme? Oh, look, you know, um, a team that plays together stays together. So, you know, we don't – if we go to a rodeo, I still cook them a feed every night. Then I know they've had one decent feed a day. Um, and, you know, we we support them. If they're getting on, then we're all there to support them. If they're drafting, well, we all make as much noise as we can so they know that we're there. Um, 
there's a line. You can't be the boss and not have a line. They have to know that there's there's a dead set line and if you step across it, you're going to get put back in your box. And that applies to all of us. Make no mistake, Buff has to put me in my box every other day. But it keeps him honest too. It gives him something to do picking on me sometimes. Um, no, he doesn't pick on me. That's not true. Um, you know, it's we – We're proud of the boys and the girls. We're proud of of who they are and and what where they've where they started and where they are now. We're really proud of that progress and and we're really proud of the fact that they are really good humans and they're good people and they get out there and they help out. Like you know, it's nothing to see the Napier crew at a rodeo in the backyards or pulling saddles off or front gates at camp drafts and, and you know, there's little, you know, there's kids that don't have the advantages that our kids had that want to have a ride and a potty ride. So we've still got the kids' potty riding gear and, and you know, Siege will go over and and Chappie's really good too. CJ and Chappie will go over and put kids from town on in the potty ride and let them use CJ and Jesse's old gear and, and you know, we're, we're very lucky. We've been, had a very blessed and fortunate life where we've had, we've had all those, all those experiences and, and we took them for granted in a lot of, a lot of ways. Like, you know, we just, we, we just, that was our normal. That was what we done. And, and, you know, and we don't, you don't realize that there are so many kids out there that, that are sitting back thinking, God, I'd love to have a go at that. And if, if we can facilitate that in some way, then, you know, we might be getting another ringer into the industry in 10 years. So you, you've got to always have your eye on the prize and you've, you've got to treat people the way you want to be treated. And if you do that, then you can't go wrong. Walk me through some of your favourite memories from your 17-plus years at Napier Downs. Oh, there's been so many. Um, being able to work alongside Buff and have the kids at work with us is probably the standout for me um, because we never had to be apart. We were always together as a family and and that – in some ways bred some amazing times and it bred some pretty ordinary times. Um, like a young fellow that worked here, young Aaron Nichols, his partner was our governess, Emma. He made me a belt for my birthday and he put a big shield buckle on it and they were a big deal in the Channel Country shield buckles. And What anyway, is a shield buckle, sorry? Oh, it's a, like just a great big huge buckle. Like a radio Like it's buckle? the shape of a shield. No, it's the shape of a shield. It's like ringers used to have them in the old days in the Channel Country and, and you know, you put them on your knife belt and it, to wear to town because you were big note yourself trying to wheel a chick or something. And um, anyway, so Aaron made me this belt for my birthday and gave it to me. And we're in the yards at, at Red Bull and I was working on the calf cradle and they had this old crossbred shorthorn clean skin cow come up and they run her up the race and they dehorned her and branded her. She's wet. And um, they let her out and they sung out that they were letting her out, which was great, good on them. But she spun and come down the race towards me and I jumped over the fence into the calf pen behind the calf cradle but this knife belt, this shield buckle got hung up on the fence. So I was hanging upside down 
one end of the calf cradle yard and this old cow had gone to jump in the other end, so she's hung up over it by her hips over the fence. So I'm one end bellowing like an old cow and the old cow's the other end bellowing like an old cow and not one of them bastards come and help. Sorry about my leg. Not one of them come and help me because they were all laughing too much at me. I was not pleasant for a couple of days. <laughs> but I actually, when I got untangled, I took the knife belt off and I threw it at Aaron Nichols and that created even more laughter. And one of the things that always, always comes up when they want to have a laugh and, and take some pressure off is the old cow getting hung up on the calf race. So, you know, those sorts of things, you can go back to them and, and it makes the new crop of guys coming through, they can relate. They can, you know, they don't see somebody that sits in the office or wanders around here and gets their nails done and they see me as a part of the team. And if they see me as a part of the team, then they know I've got their back and I know they've got mine. And for me, that gives me a lot, a hell of a lot of personal pride because they don't feel they have to protect me, but they will if I need them to. And that's what counts. I don't need protecting. None of us need protecting. But the fact that everybody else is there to do it makes you feel good about being you. And, and you know, there's like, I fell off a horse once and, um, busted my arm up and boof, come and pick me up. We put some frozen peas on it and we're driving along in the car and he said to me, what do you reckon you've done? I said, I don't know, there's just something not right in there. It doesn't feel right. So we went to town and they took some x-rays and they got a bit flustered once they saw the x-rays and said, oh, no, we need to get you to Perth. So I goes to Perth and the doctor in Perth said to me, oh, there's not much I can do. It's going to have to come off. And I said, what is? And they said, your, your hand, like, you know, you've smashed it up pretty badly. You've got what's called a transscaphoid perilunate dislocation and fracture. And I looked at myself, oh, I don't know about that. Like, you know, that's a bit extreme. And, and he said, no. And there were, you know, well, the, I can get another. I said, yeah, you get another opinion. I think that's a good idea. Um, so they went off and they got another doctor from Perth that was a hand surgeon that come around. And he said, look, mate, you know, we can have a go at it. We can try and fix it a bit. He said, worst case scenario, it has to come off like they're saying now anyway. So you've got nothing to lose. Well, are we talking about your hand here? Is that what yeah. you said? That your hand yeah. would have to be yeah. amputated. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so the doctor, Rowan Page, had a lap at it. Um, and he sort of put it back together a bit. He reattached my thumb, um, put some steel rods and plates in my wrist because I just, it, it looked like somebody put a ceramic tile on the cement, hit it with a hammer. Uh, it was all just shattered up in there apparently. So um, about six surgeries and four years later I started to get some feeling back in my fingers and then we done a nerve, he done a nerve transplant for me. So he took some nerves from further up in my arm and drug them back down and run them out to my fingers. So I now have feeling to an extent, in all my fingers, I can move my thumb independently again now. Um, I've got no movement in my wrist at all. It's just steel from, you know, halfway up my hand to halfway up my forearm. And you know what? I learned a lesson out of that. 
I learned an absolute lesson out of that. Don't take a horse cheap because it was not that horse's fault, it was mine. I was riding a colt Buff had broken in and he was just going so well. He was such a good little horse and he was just going so well that I took him cheap and I rode up to the car to have a drink of water and I dropped the reins on his neck and reached out for a cup and he got a fright and ducked sideways and thought, I've got her, she's loose. And he downed me and I put my hand out and we're in the black soil and I put my hand out to stop my fall. So the lesson in all of that was, just land on your head. It's not going to hurt as much. Can this lesson be applied to any other areas in life? When you say absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, never, ever take anything for granted. Tomorrow's not promised. I lost my sister at 38, and it's one of the toughest things I've ever done. I think there's only... Only one other thing that's been tougher for me and tougher for us as a family than losing my sister teen, um, and that's my grandson's diagnosis. But you know, um, and and I took I took Tina for granted. You know, it might go months and months and not ring her because we were busy and we were you know we're flat out working or we're in the camp and. And then you'd get home and you just didn't feel like it. And I'd give anything, absolutely anything, to be able to pick that phone up and say, hey, Red, what you doing? So the biggest lesson is just don't take anything for granted. Tell the people you love you love them. If, if somebody's got a nice shirt on, say, geez, I like that shirt. looks great on you. Like, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to be nice. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end agri-industry while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and or agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and service some of the most remote areas of the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations and we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au, and we're also on Twitter at centralstation6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.